Hello, and welcome to the Filmmaking Sucks podcast. This week we have for you the final panel we recorded at Macop Fair. This is the Filmmaking on a Budget panel, featuring Patrick Devaney, Jeremiah Kipp, and Jerry Landy. These three have been making low-budget films in the New York, New Jersey area for the better part of the last 15 years, and their wealth of knowledge is immeasurable. Whether you're a beginner filmmaker or years-worn film veteran, you will absolutely learn something from this and definitely find the inspiration you need to get to work on your next project immediately. So give this a listen, and we'll be back next week with a new episode. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast provider, and while you're there, give us a five-star rating and review. Thanks for listening. Get out there and make good films. We'll wait for you. We'll wait, we'll wait on you, <laughs> Now that we've missed the entire part of this for the podcast, well, I'm sorry. We'll start from screen. You, you, we'll you're start moderating us? It's rolling. Go. Are you still moderating us? No. Okay, thank you. No, you're the moderator. Okay. Damn. Okay. Um, hi. For everyone who, who, who doesn't know me, um, um, my name is Patrick Devaney. Um, I've been an independent film director for uh, going on 12 years now. I work on mostly uh, long-form short films, uh, things between about 25 and 40 minutes long. Um, and and I like to do what's called what I, what I generally call science fantasy. Um, it's uh, I, I like to do complete worlds that are in and of themselves that have absolutely nothing to do with ours. And uh, that's that's kind of what my friend was referring to. Um, to do that isn't always easy. Um, and uh, a lot of times people go into into films and say, okay, well, what what do I have? And what can I exploit? Which I think is a fantastic way to go into doing it. You know, I have the problem of none of this exists, and how do I make it look like it does? You know, without having anyone just in a big green room, and hopefully I can afford the special effects later on. Um, how, how we do it? Um, depending on what I've been, I've been doing, um, we build what we can out of what we have, or, or I try to figure out how do I incorporate the natural world outside and then just maybe augment it somehow. Well, and, like, for, uh, for, for, for instance, it's like, like, so, like, one of your scenes is, like, car drives through desolate wasteland with gleaming city in the distance. Like, when you write that, do you, like, none of those things, like, you know, the city right. doesn't exist, this thing doesn't exist, so, like, so you're, when you're writing your scripts, it's like you're even imagining, you're anticipating building these things yeah, that don't exist yeah. right now, which I, I, is, but you're, and you're saying like you're doing it from what you have, but like none of that stuff exists in the first place. So how do you right. conceive um, it? Um, I try. I try not to write on based on just what I have. I think that's mm -hmm. very limiting. I think a lot of people do that. And it's a great place to start, but you don't want to yeah. do that forever. Um, when when I start writing a script, I, I start thinking, well, what do I really want to see out of this story? And if it's something that I that I can envision, how in the hell are we going to pull this off? Yeah. Um, uh, in the case that he's referring to, um, I had a film that premiered here last year called Impervia, um, which was basically um, uh, a small poor family, poor family living in a tiny little house in the middle of nowhere, and there's zero to the horizon line in any direction except for this one gigantic city all the way in the distance where they used to live, and we had to we had to figure out ways to to eliminate the natural world. So we were looking around for different locations and I was afraid that we were going to have to build a lot of this and like how, you know, how are we going to do this on, on this cost? Um, my producer, Chris Murphy, he started asking people around saying, listen, we have this idea. Um, do you know any place that, that would work with this? We need a private street. We need, we need a home. We need a number, number of things. And uh, we found one, a guy we knew, said, listen, my parents have this beautiful house, but it's in Pennsylvania. 
And I'm like, that's really great. And he's like, yeah, we have a private road. We have everything you need. So then we had to figure out exactly how we were going to erase the natural world. And what we did was use as much of the house as we possibly could. Um, and then we, we, wor- we worked with mobile green screens around the actors um, so that we didn't have to rent gigantic equipment. We didn't have to do all of these things. Um, I went, my DP went around to as many different places that he could find that would give him a deal on camera equipment and rentals. And we, we pre-planned this a lot. And a lot of it was in the pre-production, okay? Um, it turns out that he, you know, we lucked out and that he worked for the CUNY system. So he was able to withdraw you know, $20,000 worth of camera equipment for nothing. So I was like, okay, this is the break we've been waiting for, you know? But we had to have contingency plans with that. Um, it was... Then I had to make the decision. Are, are we going to try to do something locally, or are we going to bring in the entire crew out to Pennsylvania, and it's about three and a half hours away from, from New York City, are we going to do this and then balance out that money with how I have to house everybody? Mm. You know, that kind of thing. But um, there was no way to do that <laughs> in the way they normally do that. It's just completely, you know, making green screens everywhere. So we used to pictures of everything. And I sent those to my digital artist, and I said, listen, this is the house we're working with. Okay, we're going to augment this. I'm going to block out this and this and this. And we literally had guys running around with one green screen <laughs> around to all the different people. And you see the film, I, it, it, I, I, think, I think my digital artist made it seamless, but um, that's what we had to do. I can afford one reflector. I could afford one green screen panel that was big enough to block out the people. And we figured out how big is this panel, that's how far away we could film them. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was a consideration, you know. But, but all those things, they, they, they can be done. I brought the film in under $6,000. And... It doesn't um, look like it. It doesn't feel... It doesn't look like a thank you. $6,000 movie. And, um, and, uh, and that was with translation and everything, and, and everything included. It was a little under $6,000. And, and uh, I had to pick the right people. We shot this film in 36 hours. It's a 34-minute film. So it's almost, you know, almost an hour a minute of real-time work. Um, and I only do that because I had a fantastic crew with me. I had my DP that I've been working with, Mark Boutros, for 12 years. You know, and I know you could speak volumes on using the DPs that you know. Oh, for sure. Um, and but you guys are like you guys are like the punk rock of like the of the. You guys are like the Joy Division of like uh, it's like you and six guys and six grand like building worlds and stuff like that. So, but it's like there is a, there is something to be said for like using the people that you know because those are the people that will do it 24-7 for you for no money or for little money or for or like they'll just give you these resources that you wouldn't have otherwise have had. So it's like you didn't do a six thousand dollar movie. You had six thousand dollars in cash, and then you prepped yeah, what, like eight thousand dollars worth of favors, you know, least, and, and, and friendship, or, or, or like fifteen thousand dollars worth of favors and friendship, at least, at least, yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's like there's the money that you spend, but then there's like if you've been doing it for a while, as Patrick has or we have, you know, it's like then you just count on those people to bring those resources to you with bridges that you haven't burned and friendships that you've cultivated over time. You know, and like I think those are really the things that people like. Everyone wants to know the money and the budgets, but for me, the real money is those the company that you keep and like those people that you surround yourself that's with. Your, like, those, that's your that's your biggest resource, absolutely. We uh, yeah, absolutely. when when I first started out, I made my first movie on a pizza budget, Raccoon, <laughs> which was which was uh, about a crack addicted raccoon in the Bronx. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> we we made we made this movie for probably about five hundred bucks, right? These are two of them from the second movie. Now, what happened was the movie the movie the movie the movie came out. Um, it was in New York New York Magazine said lowbrow brilliant, and the next day I got sixteen thousand hits on the website. I was invited to the Roxy. I was invited to all these film festivals. Awesome. I won two awards. Now, to me, I look at the movie now. The movie is crap. And they, we, we we had no money. We we had these are a little better, but we had a puppet that was killing people and ripping their guts out. Now. When I was invited to the Roxy, I was like, you got the right guy because this movie, we, took, we made it as a goof. But all of a sudden, it became big. And all of a sudden, I was the crackoon guy. The Bronx Zoo, where were the crackoons? So after that, somebody from Sony, somebody from Sony Pictures happened to be at the film festival in New York and saw the movie and pulled me aside. And said, how much did you make this movie for us? I'm embarrassed to tell you. <laughs> and he goes, well, what, what happens if I give you $35,000? <laughs> So I said, $35,000, I can make 35 movies, really. <laughs> but but the, the, real, the, real, the real funny part about it was, is I was handed $35,000, which to me, from dealing with a pizza budget, to get $35,000, I hired Cindy Guy, who's a playmate, as my lead actress. I got to pay people. If any of you know who Michael Wright is, he was on Oz. He's a cra- yeah, he was supposed to be in a movie, but he had a crack problem, and he couldn't be in this movie here. So what happened was... <laughs> When we made Crackoon 2 with the money, I actually had money to hire people to make puppets for me, which we've destroyed over the years. But also, when I went to film festivals, everybody wanted to see the Crackoon guy. And I'm like, really? You, this movie? And the first, second one, I bought copies to give out. Blood Marsh Crackoon, I got a major worldwide distribution deal on it. And after that, people started throwing money at me. It was like, oh crap, you got a distribution deal. Now, the one thing... Uh, you guys are short film, film, right? The one no, only not anymore, but you yeah, do features oh, no, too. No, he, no, he the, does every, everything, so he would understand this. <laughs> a feature film is a bitch, and I mean, I just finished my eighth feature film um, about Radicus, which is a flying bat. Green, it's really crazy shit. Um, and the movie, and the movie that we're showing here is my first normal movie, where my mother finally said to me, "There's no tits, there's no ass, there's no curse, there's no blood. It's a normal movie. I love it." And that movie now is getting a lot of play out there. And I always say to people, it's luck. These guys make the greatest film in the world. If the right person doesn't see it, it goes nowhere. But, Krakoon, I got lucky. I mean, we thought this was a movie, we thought this was gonna be a movie that we watched like on Christmas and we got drunk and, and all this stuff. And, and then all of a sudden, I'm getting, I had two reality show deals which I turned down because they wanted to make the Bronx look stupid. And I'm from the Bronx, and they wanted to goof on my actors. And I turned down two major TV deals, one with Sci-Fi and one with Bravo. Because I'm a filmmaker, I'm not an asshole. I don't want to be on TV like this. I'm interested in making the films, getting into film festivals, meeting other filmmakers, and getting into the grit. So I, one thing i got to say, if you're worrying about a budget and you're a filmmaker, the first thing you don't, don't pay yourself. Because a lot of guys get money, they give themselves a salary. <laughs> that money could be paid for special effects, for another actress or whatever. The second thing I say is don't think you're bigger than anything. Because you can make the greatest movie in the world and somebody will come and just piss on it. And when we went to uh, uh, San Francisco, we got three reviews. Two of them loved it. One guy hated it. And I wasn't going to go to the screening. I said, I want nothing to do with this. I want nothing. When I walked to the Roxy, there was a line around the block. It was the first sold-out show of that film festival. So... I tell people, no matter what, 
do it. Make your film. You never know what's going to happen. It's And you can't look to be famous right from the beginning. You got to look for the art. You don't say, I'm going to get a major deal or I'm going to get this. You just say, I'm going to make my movie and let's see what happens. Let me get it to festivals. And short films, I was told a long time ago, short films are great, but you can't sell them. And that's the only problem with short films. I made five short films that are really great, but I can't sell them. I can't do anything with them. So... If I were you and you're raising money, make that feature. Because the feature is what's going to get you people that want to distribute your film. Because a feature film is distributable. And this movie's done really well. I mean, it's been bootlegged more than I know. I get bootlegs every day that's bootlegged on the internet and everything. So, <laughs> but I never made that money back. That's the most important thing. Um, I put my money back into my movies and I keep rolling around. So it's just, I, these guys, I don't know them, I'm just meeting them now, but I guarantee you they have the same passion that I have about filmmaking. It's not about being famous or doing it, it's about making, seeing, your, seeing your vision on the screen. That's beautiful. Yeah, we all love what we do. I mean, we love it. I, it's like, uh, you know, I'm sure Joy Division likes to do it. <laughs> but like, you know, it's like, I mean, we, love, we love it. We, why, would we, why would we be stupid enough to be like doing this stuff, you know? But, um, but short films are like, like this. It's a, short films are a business card. You yeah, know, it's exactly. like, I mean, so, but a short film led to my first feature. You know, I did one and it was playing the festivals and these guys were in the audience. And then these guys who had like money from this construction company, like we got $100,000, want to do a slasher movie in the woods, <laughs> you know? So I was like, great. And like, we want to get uh, someone in it, you know? It's like, let's get Tom Savini to kill people in the woods, you know? <laughs> we got Tom. He was cool. He wasn't an asshole. Uh, very nice. He's very nice I mean, he can be very nice yes, when, he he feel, when he feels like it. And he, and he felt like it with us. He was great. Um, and then, you know, it's like, so, so like the shorts I do are like usually, it's like I really want to make something that's either personal or I want to make something because I really love the script or I really, or these guys have the money and like, let's go make it. You know, so I've done stuff that way. I made a short film here that somebody else, like, I, I had a movie, I, was a, I can't think it was a short here at Macabre Fair, and one of the people I know was like, hey, there's some dude who's, like, going to give you money because he's doing an anthology film, and he's going to give you money to go make a short. And I had this short script that was just sitting in a fucking drawer, you know, like, it, it was, like, going to make it here with my friends, and then it just never happened. And then, like, for a second, it was like, these guys in Chicago will make it, and then that went away, you know. And then I was here at Macabre Fair showing some movie. And then Bob Sachi was like, there's this guy from New Orleans. He's got money, you know. So I met the guy, and he's like, yeah, I'm making an anthology, and I'm looking for stuff based on, like, um, literary works that are not in the public domain. And this, I happen to have this Edgar Allan Poe, Roger Cormany kind of thing. So we went and we made it, and the dude, like, wrote me checks or whatever that cleared. Cleared, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that's important. So I went and made that, and that's an anthology that's uh, distributed called Creepers. Uh, the one that's coming out next, the last, you know, the most recent creepers. feature. Yeah, Creepers, right. The movie. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and, the, and the one that's coming out now, it's like, we've been in post forever. All right, so I made a short with this guy, Jerry Janda, called Painkiller, that gave us some attention. It was a very good movie. And, uh, and, and, you know, I did interviews about it and stuff, and I was like, uh, I was saying the shit like, the critic would be like, well, is there anything you don't want to do? And I was like, yeah. Found footage. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and then Jerry's like, ah, I'm going to write a found footage movie for Jeremiah just to piss him off. And uh, but I'm going to do like this H.P. Lovecraft, Elder Gods, Elder Gods rip up out of the ground kind of shit. Only it'll be found footage. I read it and it was like, you know, I was like, this is good, but like, do you got any money? He's like, no. And I'm like, I don't have any money either. So we're not. We're not. We're not you know. But but you know, it's like. But then 
you know, like, when you, if you hang around in places like this, you know, you're going to run into some dude with money, you know, and, like, this dude... Well, actually, like, some... You know, he was, like, thinking about investing in this other project I was involved in. He's like, no, there's not a big enough part for the client that I represent. So I bet with him, I was like, well, well boy, do I got the perfect thing for your client, <laughs> you know? And I showed him Jerry's script. And he's like, great, I have $200,000. Do you have this script? Let's line it up with C-list name actors, you know? And, like, and, and his whole MO was this, you know? It's like, I want to get names on the box, I want to make the movie, and I want to get distribution, you know? And, like, the minute that it said, like, Eric Roberts and Tom Sizemore and whoever... You know, then, like, the offers really did start coming in, you know. It's kind of like, so now he's fielding offers. I mean, we finished it. took forever. The minute you write H.P. Lovecraft, big monster comes up out of the yes. ground. Then you're talking fucking years of post, you know. It's like Patrick does it with his guys. We were doing, like, we were doing it with, you know, we did it the other way, you know, where so you're spending money, like, getting the people to do the fucking shit. And that's, you know, and that's waiting for them to finish it, too. You're on other yeah, people's piece, schedules. Like, shot by shot, piece, piece by yeah. piece for, like, a year, you're watching, like, that much, that much monster. You know, it just yeah. takes friggin' forever once you're if you're paying for it. And you don't have like the because like for this we didn't have the the CGI guy. We just had on the page. It's like elder, you know, Cthulhu appears, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, or whatever the fuck, you know. So uh, you know, that was more of a pain in the ass than Eric Roberts. You know, it's like <laughs> you know, monsters um, are hard, man. Yeah, Post monsters, monsters are, are hard. Post monsters are really hard. Post monsters are yeah. hard. Post like, monsters now. That's why I love practical effects. The short I screened earlier tonight was practical effects. I was like, we're doing a monster. We're going to make the monster. We're going to do like Frankenstein style, Creature from the Black Lagoon style. <laughs> and, I, and I loved it. It was really a good experience, you know. So, but uh, I just needed to brush off the post VFX of oh, like a year, of, a year of that. But yeah, like that. But the, all those things came about with some idiot with money, you know. was like, hey, let's make a movie, you know, whatever. But those people are out there, you know, and... I love those people, you know, and we need those people, you know, it's like, so I look at those as being like work for hire jobs, jobs that I do to pay my rent and pay my bills and stuff like that. And like the short films and the other stuff is like stuff where it's like, you know, cause I, I, cause I fucking love this. I love this job, you know? So like the short I did tonight, I was telling during the Q and A, it's like, I didn't have any money for it, but the, the DP, Dominic Civilli, was like, I got five grand, let's go make a short. And I was like, great, five grand. Yeah, he's like, but maybe we should do a Indiegogo. You know? uh, and I'm like, okay, well, sure. He's like, because I don't know if, you know, it's like, if I don't have to spend all the five grand, that'd be great. So we do the Indiegogo, and I'm like, this is going to totally fail, but it was successful. We got like $6,500. He's like, thank God. Thank God, because I had no money at all. <laughs> I was lying. Uh, you know, I just wanted to get this thing started so we could make a monster movie. But, and then we did, which was really something. Now, you, you guys make, you make monster movies, the Creepers, I saw. Yeah, Creepers, man. Were you did all practical? That was all practical in, in that one, we, yeah. we We did all practical, and then I started training with the guy who did CGI and really good green screen stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of... It's kind of hard to jump from practical to digital because you don't see it when you're filming and it's mm -hmm. all in post, like he's mm -hmm. saying. So I'm in post now with the movie and I'm doing, a, we, we built, I got a $2,000 flying bat creature <laughs> that we green screen and we have it attack people, but we actually green, we have it flying through the Bronx and everything. And it's the first time I'm actually doing that because usually the practical effects, I see them at night. So I see the creature, I say, okay, I could do this, that. When you're doing CGI, you have to tell the actors, well, the creature's going to come from here, and he's going to run across the room, and you have to get them. There's one scene where the cops are shooting this creature, he's flying across a bar. Mm. So I said, you got to, you know, imagine that the creature's there. In the old days, they would put a stick figure there, but then I got to take it out and post, and that's a lot of work, as you guys know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But practical um, effects, I did a movie called Bronx Bigfoot. 
and I built a Bigfoot outfit. And I just sent the guy out in the streets in the middle of the night and just photographed him walking <laughs> through the Bronx. And somebody got a picture of it on a surveillance video. And <laughs> they, have a, um, they have a page in my neighborhood. It's the 45th Precinct blotter page, right? And somebody caught us walking through the park in the Bigfoot car. And we had the guy walk like the original Bigfoot, right? Like the Bigfoot footage. So they got it up there and somebody posted, I saw this in the park. It looks like a Bigfoot, but we don't know. So we started laughing it's, and somebody actually said to us, they said, we know you filmed a Bigfoot movie, was that you? And I said, yeah, and, and we didn't have permits. So we would get the guy in the van, he would be in this smelly outfit, and we would go like this, the street's empty, get out! And he would run up the street, and he'd walk, and we'd shoot him, and then we'd just hope that nobody caught us. And we, we, I, was just, I just was at a film screening last night with my friend, and they stood up and said we didn't have permits for any of this. They were shooting on bridges, and we, we were offered permits for our last movie, but they're expensive. I mean, we got insurance, but permits, they... And that's why when you do a low budget, you know, you're, it's guerrilla style. It's like, grab any scene you can. Yeah. If, if you get a really good location, if you have to pay $100 for it, which I did in the last movie, I would offer them $100 for a location. And people would take us into their homes. Like, be so happy. They would feed us, get us drunk. Oh, you guys are filming a movie in Ohio. And the neighbors would come and watch. So it's, it's really funny. But we are talking about budgeting here, about getting money. How have you guys, any of you out here raised any money or? Through like Indiegogo and. You like Indiegogo? Um, I'm actually looking at doing Seed and Spark next time. That's one, they're obviously very female friendly, but um, they have the highest percentage rate. But also like, because they make you do so many things. I know, you gotta jump through too many hoops. Well, I think it's good though, because like they, the fact that like, oh, you need to you know, build an audience, do this, this, and like, it's mm -hmm. things that I never thought of before. Building an audience is like the most important thing. Because yeah. if, you, if, you actually, if you actually have something to show, like he said, his, this is what he uses for his short films. It's a business card. He says, I made a short film. If they like the short film, somebody may come up to him and say, hey, here's 10 grand to make a feature film. Could you handle it? And the one thing I say is, when anybody offers you money, even if you can't handle it, you take, take it. it. Oh, yeah, you take it. Okay? You take it. You say, oh, yeah, yeah, I can handle it. You take the money, and you do your thing. And you always make the producers happy. I've always come on the budget. So at That's the end great. of my movies, I could throw a party, I could pay for screenings, because I'm good at budgeting. And when they gave me that $35,000 the first time, I was like, wow, this is the first time I've ever been handed this much money to do a project. So I sat and budgeted everything. How much the actors were going to get paid, how much my locations. The creatures alone cost me almost $2,000 to build all the creatures for the movie. We had remote control raccoons that ran around, you know, so, and they didn't work as my DP is here, he can tell you, we spent, we spent a lot of our time trying to get the raccoons to work, and we did a behind the scenes, which is on here, and you see, there's one whole section was the raccoons not working, and he would like crash into a wall, or like we would run him like chasing somebody, he would go off in the other direction, and it was, it was just like I said, I paid so much money for these raccoons. And, you know, these guys, they have blood coming out of their mouths. We had people with blood tubes and stuff. And when people saw the movie, they ate it up. They were like, they love these creatures. People tell me, why don't you market them? Because they had names. And there was a mother in the movie. And there was a little girl who my daughter played who took care of the baby raccoons. And then one of them, I don't want to give away the movie because it's an epic Gone with the Wind. Yeah, I don't want to give away. I'll, I'll give out some copies. The funny, the funny thing is, is I started out as a medical photographer. I did crime scenes and stuff like that. And my wife is a medical examiner. So when I started making horror movies, I would ask her advice on how would this look 
if I bash someone overhead. And she goes, oh, the blood will kind of trickle out. I go, no, no, I want blood to shoot. I want it to shoot out in the air. And then after a while, I just got rid of her as a consultant. I said, we don't want to see But you'd be surprised at how many people watch horror movies and see things like that. Like, we're very, we're very conscious of when we're making a movie to make sure we don't fuck up. Because horror fans are unforgiving. They'll say, oh, that don't make sense. You know, I go to hundreds of film festivals, I sit in the back, and I just listen to everybody. Oh, this, this movie makes no sense. What the hell? That's why I sit in the back. I like to hear the people saying things about my film. But we, I have a production company, too, and I do commercials and stuff like that. I'm a photographer, so I make money. So I kind of roll my money into my movies. I have a video on demand channels. I have screening. So my money, whatever money I make for my movies, gets rolled back into the next production. And that's what we do. We live like nomads. You just look for the next you know, money. And like I said, I, have, I just finished my eighth feature film, and I've done five features. And the last couple of films <laughs> look like I paid, I spent $500,000 on them. Because the, the technology now is amazing. We shot in 4K, and we got 4K drones for the bat. So the movie just looks beautiful. And if you know what you're doing and you have a small budget, you can make a really good movie. It's all... Like he said, you gotta, you're on, you gotta work with you, what you have. You gotta say, this is my budget, this is how I'm gonna do it, and that's it. I mean, I mean, you really, you really do have to figure out what, what is around you and what you absolutely have. And who are the people you know that can bring you things? Um, I did um, a, a sci-fi film called Amrash about four years ago, and, uh, and uh, I was lucky to have both my films, the last two films, debut here at Macabre Fair. And, um, and I had to build certain sections of this, of this person's world because it was based on a comic that I'd read in Heavy Metal Magazine when I was a kid. Wow. So I had to recreate the artist's stuff because we got the license to do the artist's stuff. So I said, how do I do all these things? I said, well, you know, who do I know? Well, um, I put out general calls. You know, does anyone have any old radio equipment? Does anyone have any kind of construction equipment? Does anyone, anything like that? And because I, I knew that I didn't have the money to buy all of these things, and people who I met through conventions and doing things like this sent me things. Uh, a guy, uh, Jason Brown, um, in, in, I met him one time in the Midwest when we were selling um, our series Zombie Hunters. Um, when I met him, he's a construction guy, and he sent me like four, four or five hundred bucks worth of tubing and, and all kinds of stuff that I incorporated and I used every single bit of it. You know, um, those kinds of things, you figure out what you have, what you can spend, but also what is your network? What are all the different people? And it could come from really strange places. You just don't know, hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, also, I have to stress, learn how to do as much as possible yourself. A lot of people fall into a trap of saying, well, I want to be a director. So as for being a director, now I need to have an AD, and I need to have this sound person, I need to have all of these things, and those things are fantastic if you have them on set. But if you, you can't afford those things, you have to learn that. Perfect example, um, uh, the film we were talking about before um, from Impervia that played here last year. Um, we went to that location in Pennsylvania, and the people who own the house told me that, um, I don't know if you know the story with the sound. <laughs> they told me that there was going to, during the summer, there was a small go-kart place across the street. And uh, every now and then they run go-karts. I said, okay, that's fine. It was only, only in the summer. We yeah. shot, we shot in October. Yeah. And we get there and everyone's set up and we start hearing the engines, right? <laughs> Turns out, and I had, it turns out just from doing other conventions by Cherry Hill, New Jersey, I knew guys that lived in that town. So they came and they were crews. So I didn't have to bring those guys with me and put them up. They lived in the town. So they said, they said oh, you don't know about that? It's a NASCAR qualifying racetrack. And we were recording oh, live sound outside. 
I, I just remember, I just met you at Cherry. I met you, Zombie. You were selling the series. I, yeah. I say, I know this guy. It was, a, it was a, I was a chiller selling this yeah. movie, and you were selling yours. We actually spoke. Probably I'm saying, yeah. I know this guy. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. You look familiar. That's, That's what I'm head. saying. I, I was there with my. I never forget. I never forget a face. I forget names. But and I'm looking at him, and I'm saying, he just says, I go, wait a minute. And you met my producer, who you didn't like at the time. So I remember that. And you had every reason not oh, to yeah, like oh, him. He's oh, an yeah, asshole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it's being taken. Sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry to interrupt him, but I just, I realized no, but, I knew but, um, but what I was like, what the hell are we going to do? And, and, my, and my actors were doing such a great person. Uh, someone he introduced me to, Kelly Legault, mm-hmm. um, who was a phenomenal actress, and, and we're, none of us are going to be able to f- afford her a year from now. <laughs> and um, and uh, she was one of my leads. And, and she's, she has this, this amazing part, and I just couldn't record it. So I said, listen, we're going to have to move things around, and we're going to have to film your part tomorrow because they're not racing on Sunday. And like, like, like I said, we had 36 hours, and we had to juggle everything. But I didn't have the budget to go into a professional sound studio and, and take all of this out because there were some people that were only there for that day. And I said, how do I do this? And I said, I'm going to have to learn this. All right, so that film, that film, that 34-minute short, okay, it was eight and a half months of pre-production, wow. just so that we didn't have these kinds of problems. It's just so we can map out everything we could for the money that we had. Preparedness, I can't stress you guys enough how much that's important. Do not wing it. Write it down. <laughs> Figure out what you have to do, okay? Mm-hmm. The movie was shot in a day and a half, and it took 10 months of post Jesus. to erase all that and create this world. And in that time that it was in post, I had to learn sound design. And I did it. And I, and I did it by, for free. I watched the internet. I watched YouTube. I tried to think of, I, I used to be a musician back in the 80s. So I mean, like, I would try to think of things I learned then. What did I know? What do I have as a teenager? What can I bring into this? And we reduced the sound and those noises. And what I couldn't do, we made the world windier. I talked to my, my special effects guy. I said, let's speed up the background. Let's do this. Let's do that. We made it a windy world. And then we added fake wind through cool. the, throughout the thing awesome. to, to mask what I couldn't do. Dude, that's incredible. Right? And, and uh, last year at, at, at uh, Macabre Fair, it won Best Sound for a short. Wow. <laughs> so, so funny because he got all these we, like... We, we, were all, we were all shut up like we did. <laughs> you know? Because no one knew about what we had to do for that. But had I not done that, Okay, um, I didn't have the money for a studio, and it would never be. And, and we saw a movie last night where the guy did all ADR on the film, mm. all ADR. Wow. And when when he's a filmmaker, a friend of mine from the Bronx, and he's the first time he ever tried that. And I have in the new film, I have maybe one minute of ADR, and I'm reg- I'm like dreading it because oh, this one yeah. scene we had something we had to do. This guy did his whole movie ADR. He would shoot them, and then he would bring them downstairs into a sound booth, and he would record. He would show it in the video, and he would record it that day. Mm-hmm. It took him three I've years never, to make this movie. I've never heard that. I never. And when he when he proposed it to me, because as you guys know, sound is your worst. Like the story he told about the go kart. You can be there for two hours setting up. It's quiet. The minute you press that button, someone's banging a hammer. A baby is screaming. A dog is barking. Yep. So. Sound is your worst enemy on film. If you don't get the sound right, you go into post and you're crying. And what he, he said is true. You spend more time scrubbing sound to fix sound when, when it's not. Because you're shooting outside, anything can happen. When you're in a, a house or a studio, you control the sound. And the last movie, we had a lot of controlled sets. But when we were outside, we were shooting by the Frog's Neck Bridge. And you hear, 
and the cars moving. And then planes, God, we, every every time we shoot, we're in the track of the planes. Helicopter. It's like a helicopter. Oh, helicopter I live by yes. the bridge, so it's like... <laughs> so we, we found out that when we were shooting and there would be a plane coming by, I said, well, if I put a rumble in the next scene where the plane isn't, it'll kind of even the sound out. The rumble will kind of blend in with the plane. But when you shoot location, or I, my DP is right here. He'll tell you, we want to kill ourselves sometimes. Because, and then we were shooting, all of a sudden, we were shooting a scene. It's an apocalyptic movie. The, the streets are empty. All of a sudden, you hear, hey, what are you doing? And you hear somebody screaming, and you're like, and they see me. I go, <laughs> I'm like, couldn't you wait? Couldn't you have waited five minutes until I finish this? And if you find yourself, like, you know, waiting at a go-kart, I would have lost my mind that day. And yeah, I, he's and a better man than me. I would have lost my mind. And, and, but, but that's not just for the indie world. I do, I do a yeah. lot of... I do, I, I'm, I'm mainly an actor today. I do, a, I do some films every now and then, but I mean, mainly I'm an actor. And, and, um, and uh, you know, we, we gigantic scene in Upper Manhattan for Law and & Order. And, and the, the noises that were going on, I'm just I'm like, I'm back in an indie film. It's one of the biggest television productions in the world. And I'm like, I'm back in the film. Everyone's sitting around going, okay, there's the helicopter. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> and there's birds. And it, it's the same kind of problems. You just have to be prepared for it and figure out what you can do for that. And it's so funny. I mean, like, something can always go wrong. You know, it's like you guys showed up, you did eight months prep, and then the go-karts are doing their thing. You know? It's like, I remember I was on a shoot, and it was like that, you know, when you said 36 hours, it reminded me of this thing. We had, like, eight hours in this location. We had to be out. And we had little kids in the thing. It was my friend Laura over here. So we have these little kids. You know, I love working with kids. I was a child actor myself. And, uh, but this one kid didn't fucking feel like being in a movie anymore. Sounds familiar. At the top of the day. Sounds familiar. You know, it's like, I don't want to be in a movie. I'm frightened by all the lights. And I pretty much, you know, I tried to warm him up. Then at some point, it's like, you're out of here. All right, who else we got? We got extra, we got little kids who are extras. All right, you, come on over. You're going to be the kid now, whatever. We tried to warm him up. He's like, yeah, I'll do it. And then he walks in, he sees the camera and the lights. He's like, whoa. Now we're two down. You know, two kids down. And the scene doesn't work without this kid. The producers are like, yeah. <laughs> everybody we know. You get your grandchildren. You know, who knows the kid? You know, like, we got like four producers. Three of them are like outside doing this. And then like finally a kid does roll in who doesn't even know he was going to be in a movie that day. He just kind of rolls in. He's like, oh. Making a movie today? He'd never been in a movie before. He's like, oh, we're making a movie today? Where do I sit? Like, you sit right over there next to this is your mom. Great. Comes in. He's like, where's my drink? My drink is here. Great. Oh, there's a plant here. I'm going to start playing with the plant. You know, whatever. And action. Great. And he's doing his thing. And he was off and running. And it was like, the third, like I, didn't, I didn't know this kid. We didn't know he was going to be in the movie. He didn't know he was going to be in the movie. Good producing. But, like, you know, something can always go wrong. And like when you're spending the damn money and you're there and you got eight hours or 36 hours or whatever it is, you're going to figure out how to friggin' do it. Whether it's like we're doing it Sunday, tomorrow, we're getting a new damn kid in here right now, you know, whatever it is. If you're like, let's watch this money burn, <laughs> you know, Ben Franklin, watch Ben Franklin burn, you know, it's like you're, you're going to figure it out. We had, a kid, we had a kid in the last movie and my, my whole thing now is if I want kids... My daughter is in school. I go to the school plays, and I recruit kids from school plays because these are professional actors. Mm -hmm. The last movie, I hired all professional kids who were in plays and everything, and they were the best to work with. There's one kid, the one day we were on set, she decided she's not going to do her lines, and she kept going like this. (laughs) And it was a whole scene in a car between her and her father. And I'm ready to strangle the kid. And I go, how are we going to make this work? Because we didn't have 
another kid on the side for this. Mm -hmm. So I says, okay, I grabbed the actor, I says, I'm going to rewrite this whole scene. Just film the kid doing this and doing this. <laughs> Just film that. And then what I want you to do is I want you to play a game. Saying, oh, you're not going to talk to me? Why are you being so bad? And, nope. and rewrote the whole scene awesome. there. Now, my DP and everything, they were like, what are you going to do? I said, just give me five minutes and they could all tell you I walk away and I get into my head. And I said, okay, here's how we're going to do it. So if you watch the movie, it's going to be here Sunday. You'll see her. She's just doing this. <laughs> and then when we filmed in the house, she wouldn't say the words. So I filmed the back of her head and had her father record the words at home and send it to me on the internet. So I actually dubbed her voice in afterward because the kid didn't want to do nothing. Now her brother was the biggest ham. He plays the lead, one of the lead ghosts in the movie and he's just, and like I said, the last movie we had all these professional kids. They were sitting there, they didn't say a word. We're ready to shoot. Okay, where's my, where's my part? What do I gotta go? What do I gotta do? But that one time, like you said, you get that kid, it ruins your day. And I went home that day and I was cursing with my 12-year-old daughter going, ah, this little bitch. And my daughter's laughing. She goes, oh, but dad, she got nervous. Go, yeah. But she was like telling me for weeks, I want to be in your movie. My brother's in the movie. I want to be in the movie. And it was a whole family thing. They were fighting. And I said, okay, we'll put her in the movie. And the day she, she just didn't say a word. She's like this. <laughs> so we made it work. And the scene works. You know, my crew usually says that after something like that happens, it goes, you got to burn that scene. It's not going to work. I said, let me get in the editing room, and I'll fix it. And it just happened on the last movie. We had a guy who totally froze. And she's laughing. It was with Dana, my lead actress. And he froze. He was like, oh, and he couldn't get the words. And we went back to my studio with the crew, and they were all like, oh, you got to get rid of that scene. Oh, and I said, trust me. I'm going to cut it. You're not even going to know it was a problem. And we, I showed it to them, and they came in. And Dana, she went, it works. It works. So it's like one of the things, and Jeff and I were wedding photographers for a long time. And we used to shoot weddings. Now, when you shoot a wedding, you got to go in there and be on your spot. If anything happens, you got to be ready to pick up your stuff and fix it. So that we apply that to filmmaking. And when Jeff and I are on the set, if there's a problem, the two of us, we go into a room and we sit there. We say, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? And then usually five minutes later, we come, okay, this is how we're going to fix it. Because, like you said, you lose a whole day of shooting because of a, a problem like that. So if you're going to be a low-budget filmmaker, you got to have patience which something I learned over a course of time. I think now I'm a little better, right, guys? <laughs> but I... Crickets. Yeah, but I, I, I always tell people that the number one thing is enjoy it. Because if, if it's a job, it's not fun. We, I started making films later in my life. I was, went to film school and I became a medical photographer because the money was good. When I retired, I got back into films. So right now, I'm pretty good. I, I have, you know, money, I can make my films, I can do whatever I want. And the greatest freedom in the world is seeing your film when you finish cutting it. Not on the screen, uh, you guys could probably say this, when you finish, when you watch your finished cut in your studio, and you go, I did it. It's that's crazy, that's the greatest part of it. Oh yeah, it's huge. I so, Cross uh, on the finish line. I would say, um, the, the, I think the, the main, we're all in agreement on a lot of these things. The thing that I'm kind of separate from that is um, uh, the view on shorts. Um, if I can bring that up because, because what, what he's saying is true traditionally you can't get shorts distribution you know um, but that is changing that is absolutely changing okay it's not going to be the money for features it's not going to be you know but that is absolutely changing um, because I just I just sold the air rights for Impervia awesome for, wow, cool. you know, for, uh, for congratulations uh, for, too. Thank, you, thank you very for, good for direct TV now is it, did I make the money back on the film no 
but we but it's out there. little by little by little we are making money back on shorts okay and and especially with digi digital distribution those channels are changing the way people watch television is changing the way they watch films are changing yeah. they want everything on demand everyone you know every every network has an on demand function now right mm -hmm. so um when you're budgeting for these things when you're thinking about the film you want to make right well, um if if your, if your goal is to make money johnny have a seat um, if, you, if, you, if your goal is to make money on it, you know, he's absolutely right, okay? The, the, the big money will be in feature filmmaking, okay? But if, you're, if your story is a short, don't stretch it yes. to make a feature. I, I stress to people oh, a lot. Yeah, it's horrible. There are, there are, so two, horrible there are two different yeah. things. There are feature films and there are feature length films. Yes. Okay? <laughs> a feature film needs, needs that time to develop the characters, to develop the story, and to show it to you. A feature length film is anything that should be a short, Stretched exactly. Oh, it's it sucks to the point where they say, "Oh, I made a feature film." Not no, you did. <laughs> you stretched the short. Yeah, but um, you may you may not make money back on these things. Okay, um, but but really, um, learn how to do as much of this as you can, and and just things like this. Keep doing things like this. Um, uh, when I premiered uh, M Rush here in 2014. All right, the normal crew that I work with, Manny and Lindsay Serrano, um, uh, Lindsay has her film Beneath. It's the first film that she directed. It's, it's playing, it's being tomorrow, I believe it's playing. Um, yeah, um, uh, you guys should definitely go see it. While I'm giving the speech and saying thank you all for coming to my premiere, um, uh, one of the photographers from Macabre Fair took a picture over my shoulder at the whole crowd. And in the very back of the room is Manny and and Rob from Wild Eye releasing about yeah. to shake hands on a distribution deal for their feature film. <laughs> so so this kind of thing, it's just more, that's Rob back there. Are you guys making the deal right here? Like, well, my, my movie's with the play. Sounds that's good. how it's done. And that, but that's how it's done. And it's things like this. This is the, the invaluable tool that you have in a place like this, you know? Um, uh, I, got, I got my first, I got my first um, uh, lead role in a feature um, just being general background on Blue Bloods. And a bunch of the core players on that were making a film, and they were like, they saw me in, in holding. And they're like, you might be the perfect place, person for this. And it was great. You know, it's it, this kind of thing. That's the mentality of your budget. Use that as part of your budget. Yeah. You know, the, the people that you meet, you know. And it, it's amazing. I, I, ju I just did a film with Karen there. You know, I, I, was, I was an actor and a producer in a film that she was the assistant director on. You know, and, um, and, the, and the director of that is a guy that I met here. And, and and he'll be here Sunday, and and it's just absolutely amazing. And he went through the same thing. What do I have? What can I spend? And what what, what other means are out there? And I started listening to him. All these different DPs that I knew, and he goes, "No, I want you know, I, I see the work they do. I want to see some other things, you know." And he found a guy that just happens to have a lot of connections to a lot of equipment, things like that, and just have to be a great DP. You know, and yeah. well, we would, but he would never have done that if he hadn't met the other guy. Who met the other guy? Who met the other woman? Who met the other woman? You know, just that kind yeah. of thing. Um, and that's and that's part of it. But honestly, I mean, just use everything that you have. And what he said is true. Do it. I mean, I mean, Jeremiah here is is probably the best director right now, flat out. And and uh, and and that's why he's in demand. And that's why he does this for a living. You know. Um, but I don't. I never see you as oh, I'm working. You know, you just do it. He's loving it, but the man's full-time career is this. You know, which is phenomenal. Um, if you're not, yeah, if you're not enjoying it, if you love what you, you know, do, you never work a day in your life, that's right? True. That's true. Well, we if you're not, not enjoying it, you're doing the wrong thing. But but, but it's, it's it's so much work, and you, know, you guys are making your films now. You know, we say that you're, my, my friend here, like, you know, you've, you've done your first film. 
You know? Mm-hmm. And, and do, are you wa- working on it? Or are you, are no, you, it's finished. It's, uh, finished. it's a short film. It's called uh, Red Sweat. It's going to be premiering tomorrow. Is it pretty cool? Yeah, it's being played. Good luck. What's it called? Uh, Red Sweat. Red Sweat, what time is it playing? 425? Yeah. 425 at 8. Red Sweat. Everybody go see Red Sweat. And one thing I want to add... Congratulations. One thing I want to add to what he just said is he's right. I talk to people all the time. And when you go to film festivals, you got to really network. And you don't know who you're going to talk to. Now, I don't know if um, I happen to be the producer who made a movie, Slime City. Some of you may know it. It's an old cult movie. And I was a fan of the movie, and I met the director who introduced me to a producer, and he put me in the Buffalo Dreams Film Festival with Crackoon. The second movie I was at there, the distributor was there, and I went to the film festival with screeners, all the signed release forms, all my paperwork in a box. That's awesome. So I says, if I'm going to meet a distributor and they like my movie, I want to hand them everything. (laughs) (laughs) So I got there, they saw the movie, and then I got a call that they wanted to meet with us. So when I met with the distributor, I handed her a box. (laughs) And she goes, what's this? I go, it's all my releases, my music releases, uh, a Blu-ray, a DVD, a digital copy. And if you want, I have the hard drive I could bring to your studio. And she was like, oh, my God. She goes, I've never seen anybody so prepared. And she goes, usually filmmakers, they don't have any of this stuff. They don't have release forms. And that's another thing, too. You guys can talk about it. You don't get a release form from somebody, and your movie gets picked up, and that guy doesn't want to be in your movie, your movie's not getting distributed. Yep, done. And it, we make everybody. We did a movie called Bill Huxtable's Serial Rapist a couple of years ago. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. But it's the first time I worked with nudity and a lot of naked women on set. Because I usually don't do that. And the movie called for it because Bill Cosby was raping these women in the basement and stuff. And um, I was told that when you pay the actresses, make sure you get a release. Because in Slime City, one of the actresses was nude and became a lawyer. And when the movie was released, she goes, I want, I want to be taken out of the movie. And she was a major part of the film. And they said, no, you signed the release and you got paid. So she had to eat it. So I, t- I have people on set that make sure everybody signs a release. Because if I get a distribution deal and that one person screws you or a song, if you're going to use music, get a music oh, oh, release. Oh, that's, that's absolutely music. And, and I know yeah. people who have, like, I know people who use John Williams' music in their short. And then they go to a film festival and the guy goes, that's Star Wars music. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, what's the big problem? He goes, did you get permission from John Williams to use that? And they go, no. And they go, well, you got to take it out. <laughs> because if, if you're there, John Williams could sue you. So, and there's a lot of paperwork, which I hate. I hate the paperwork of filmmaking, but if you want to get a distribution deal, you got to have all your paperwork, yeah. because if they're going to put the movie out there, they don't want someone coming down the line and saying, oh, I, I, I was in this movie, but I didn't sign a release, and that screwed, I know two filmmakers who lost major distribution deals because of that. Mm-hmm. So, if that's what you're going to do, no matter how small your movie is, Make sure you get releases from everybody before you show it. Absolutely. Perfect. Absolutely. Perfect. That's that's including the music too. Oh, per, and you pay them? Did you pay them for the music? Yeah. yeah. Even nice. better because if even if you pay them a nickel, you could say you got paid for your work and you signed the contract saying you got paid for it. I pay $125 per song and I have a contract where I could use it for anything. I could use it for my trailers, I could use it for promotion, and they do it. There are musicians out there that never get their music played, and then they come to my screening and their song is on the big screen. They're happy as pigs and shit. But you gotta get your legal stuff ready because that guy may be your enemy. And I know in this film business, these guys could probably tell you the same story. A guy who was a friend of yours four films ago is trying to kill you this week and is trying to screw you up. 
So it's all, I became, I went into the film business with this really bright-eyed and bushy-tailed thing. Ah, everybody's so nice, and oh, it's going to be so much fun. And then after the second feature, I wanted to kill half the people I came to. Show business, not show friends. Not show friends. So I, 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 I consider myself pretty successful that I'm still making movies, and I haven't been sued yet. I was hoping Bill Cosby would have sued me, but Bill Cosby's in enough fucking trouble now. <laughs> And that's what I was told. Somebody told me when I showed them the script to Bill Huxtable, Serial Rapist, the guy said, you're going to get sued. I said, okay, that's great. I got nothing. Let Bill Cosby sue me. It'll be publicity for the movie. It'll get out there. So, yeah. Um, gentlemen, we've we got about like, like 10, 15 minutes left. Um, is anybody any questions? Any questions? Yeah. Anything at all? Oh. Filmmaking. We like to talk. <laughs> oh, I noticed when you uh, mentioned... Uh, uh, have been released to f- uh, film in a certain place. You know, the original 1968, Night of the Living Dead. This is very. Uh, he changed it. Well, they changed the name in production. It was called Night of the of something, it was, and it wasn't Night of the Living Dead. And when they was, changed, it was Night, Night of. I actually worked for the guys that owned the copyright for the stuff. Yeah, it was in Romero's Night of Animus. Night, Night of Animus. Animus. And, and yeah, that, yeah. That, that I did, but what I was going to say is the whole scene that they did in. Uh, Washington, D.C., they didn't have our permits to shoot. And oh, Romero no. was in that scene. No, no. So, what happened? Romero, Romero was, was in that scene. <laughs> so they uh, literally walked from one car, uh, filmed themselves walking to another car with the uh, Capitol building in the background. As soon as they got in that other car, being that they didn't have permits, they drove away. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Day to Dead. And I met Romero, and I actually got made up by Savini and Greg Nicotero awesome. in Day to Dead. And Romero was like the coolest guy in the world. And he took us out to dinner because we were part of the, the Romero fan club, and we picked his brain about Night of Living Dead. I mean, awesome. other people were like, yeah. I was like, Romero, how did you do this? You know, and he was like so into telling me how they shot the movie, how he used his friends, awesome. how they had a production company, raised the money. And it was fascinating because my father took me to see that movie as punishment when I was a kid. Huh. We drove my mother crazy, and my mother said, get these kids out of the house. He took me to see Night of Living Dead, 1970, and scared the shit out of me. And after that, I was never the same. I said, if somebody could scare the crap out of me with a black and white horror movie, that's what I want to do. Oh, well, I saw it in the drive-in with my much older sister. I was six years old. And she had one of her friends pretend to be a zombie. That's fantastic. My father did that to us. That's amazing. He he put glow-in-the-dark makeup on after we saw the movie, and he climbed in our window. We had bunk beds. And we were sleeping, and we just saw a glowing face come in the window, and we jumped and screamed and went into my mother's room. Somebody come. And my mother goes, you son of a bitch, what'd you do? So he took us to the movie, scared the shit out of us, and then put makeup on and scared us out of us. Well, I told Russell about it decades later, I don't know, many decades later. He said, turn on that video camera. And he, he uh, had me filming for two minutes telling off uh, my sister. <laughs> I just heard of something very disturbing that happened back in 1968. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, Uncle George, he was the man. He did. He was, right right. was the nicest guy. He's a Bronx nice guy. guy yeah. Bronx guy. Does anybody have any other questions? Well, you know, at all. John, what's up? Speaking about inflating speeches, around the, the early 60s, uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents in Twilight some movie. They go go one hour, and it, it wasn't as good because the story was stretched out. Yes. And I wonder why they have to do that. Um, they they thought that if if they had the Twilight the Twilight Zone had one season where all the episodes were an hour long. Mm-hmm. The problem was that the writers wrote 
24 minute shows. <laughs> yeah. So they just kept, re- and, and, and one of them, the, the fam- one of the most famous ones, uh, they had Robert Duvall yes. in one of his first mm-hmm. TV roles, and he was obsessed with dollhouse. Dollhouse, yeah. the dollhouse. And they just had poor Robert Duvall going back to this dollhouse. And you can see it in his face, the guy, she them going back to the <laughs> you know. But, um, but yeah, I, um, I, it, it must have done it had something to do with advertising. Um, I think what they did was if, they, if people can hold their attention throughout the hour, you can do more advertising instead of having a new program there because Twilight Zone was hugely successful. So, so they st- kind of stretch out the stories. But what you're saying is true. That's the, the feature or feature-length film. You know, I mean, yeah. that's, that's absolutely true. Something I've been finding yeah. encouraging right now is on Netflix. What's that David Fincher show, Mindhunters? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the – they're not like – some of them are an hour long, but like some are like 40 minutes and some are an hour and 10. And some are like – I think one of them was like 26 minutes or something. It's like 10 episodes of varying length and like Black Mirror is doing that a little Black bit Mirror's too. Black Mirror like, too, yeah. I mean, some Black Mirror could be even shorter. I mean, I love Black Mirror. <laughs> I love it. It's one of my favorite shows. Uh, and like, you know, one of them is 40 minutes, one of them is an hour and a half. But some of them are like longish. You know, it's like, I mean, they'd be better if they were 20 minutes. They, but love, they fall in love with the footage. They do. But I mean, but it is inspiring that like, they don't have to, you know, none of those things on Netflix have to be an hour. They can be whatever length whatever duration they think is uh, is right. And I, I find that really inspiring. I think that that's going to grow in the future because our viewing habits, as you were saying before, yeah, have changed. Absolutely. See, with film. Film's and, getting cut down more now. They've yeah, everything's getting, films up. everything's getting shorter. Yeah. And I think that's great, actually. I mean, I, I think it's interesting to see, like, because then you could do something that's 36 minutes. You could do something that's 90 whatever if it calls it for it. But if it's, if it's streaming... And it's not dependent on Colgate or Crest or, you know, <laughs> right, 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 buy this right. car, whatever. Because on Netflix, you're not seeing those damn commercials. You know, you're just seeing the product, you know. And it's like, oh, if that, if that market can continue to grow, then we may be seeing more avenues for, like, for short form, medium form, oh, long form. And then mega, like, you know, then, you know, so you got, like, those things. Or you could do 10 episodes of whatever it is you want to do. I find that exciting. And I find that kind of interesting. You know, it, opens, it opens new avenues for guys like you who are, like, really specifically... Like, because Edgar Allan Poe never – he wrote one novel and it sucks. And he, wrote, <laughs> and he wrote like a billion short stories, many of which are classics. H.P. Lovecraft, the same. You know, Raymond Carver just did short stories. And it's, you know? it's really funny you're saying that. The, the, the film that always sticks in my mind mm-hmm. where I say like it was stretched out to be a feature mm-hmm. um, was, um, it was a student film that was based on the Telltale Heart. Right. And it's, it's – and, and It's like it four went, pages it, long, that story it, it, or something. It went on for two hours and ten minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and half of the film with the two main main characters walking around through flushing. Oh man, it sounds really <gasps> sucky. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm having chest pains. This thing, but it's true. It's absolutely true. I mean, some of these movies you just want to change the title of walking around. Yeah, like, that's <laughs> all that's happening. Yeah, Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Star Trek. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. If you have if you have a story that only warrants thirty five minutes, make a thirty five minute movie. I've seen there was a movie Street Trash. I don't know if any of you have oh, seen yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. That's a great movie. Okay, when I went to school, I, Roy Frumkus was my teacher. Oh, wow. So when I was in visual arts when they made Street Trash. And I also, yeah, when, when they made Documented the Dead, that's how I met Romero. Because oh, cool. I was in visual was arts. Okay. And yeah, it, it's. I, I, <laughs> I, I've seen the full version of Street Trash, but I've also seen the short. And the short is really good. And the movie just seemed to stretch way too much. Now, have you ever seen the original Street Trash that Frumkus made with the visual arts students? Have you ever seen it? I think it's on the DVD. 
it's, it's so much cooler. And when I went to go see, there's a flying penis in a graveyard, in a junkyard and stuff. I go, where'd that penis come from? <laughs> The, the, the bum is taking a piss. The bum is taking a piss. And then he grips his dick. Grips his dick and he cuts it off. Piss. He stands there. I, I mean, if I got my dick cut off, I'd be screaming. But all of a sudden you see a flying dick through the air. Yeah. And I was like, I saw the original. There was no flying dick in the movie. I don't know. But street trash, I, I guess I, I saw Frumpkis was my teacher. And it was funny because Frumpkis came to a film festival a couple of years ago where I was screening. And he came up to me and he said, I always knew you would make it. I said, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but he... Did that short, and he made a lot of money from Street Trash. Street Trash made a lot of money. Yeah. I thought the short was better, and I thought they 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 they, they reached on that because it was all about a, a wine that turned people that melted people. Right. It was real hyper wine, and then the movie was in a junkyard, and it was like flying penis, and I can't get over the flying penis. I just keep seeing the flying. Yeah. <laughs> now we're all seeing the flying. Now we're all seeing. Everybody, everybody, go home tonight and picture a flying penis. That movie got out there. I, I was growing. I, yeah. I grew up in a very small town in Hopkinton, Rhode Island, and Street Trash was Street in my Trash video made, store. Made money. And like you know, that movie got out there. If that movie can get to my little podunk town, he, you know, like, it he got made Frumkus. Frumkus, uh, Frumkus made a lot of money with that, and he never made anything good after that. Because I've been to yeah. festivals, and he's making movies now, and that was like his. If you watch Greg Lamson's movie, he plays Trump with, with Lloyd Kaufman. They're in the movies like Frumkus mm. because we all went to school with Frumkus. He was our teacher for a bunch of filmmakers. So it was nice that Frumkis came to a film festival and said, yeah, I know he knew you were going to do good. I said, no, nah, you thought I was a dick when I was in <laughs> film school. But, yeah. Does uh, anyone have anything else to add or ask? Or Any questions? What kind of show is this to you? Oh, well, listen. I use... <laughs> Dude, I... I, gotta, I, I use dirt. <laughs> no, I, I got to buy the good shit because uh, otherwise I get terrible dandruff. Last night at the Q&A, someone asked how many pages are in the... Asked the director how many pages were in his script. That was one of the Q&A, and I was like, I just put my head down, like... Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah, a movie, I Am Bound Vampire, the first movie... Dina Demko. Yes. Oh, yeah. Have you seen it? Well, I thought... I wrote with Dina forever, yeah. Oh. Uh, they seem to clip too much, and I, I asked the, uh, the director, and he said, that's what made the movie successful. Like, they <laughs> clipped, and he Maybe. made a lot of money on that. He, he, he did. He... His actress didn't. I can introduce you to a bunch of them today. <laughs> it's like Lloyd Kaufman. You don't pay. Yes. Oh. yes. I have a question. I walked in when you guys were talking about like uh, guerrilla style locations, and it's kind of like with the project I'm working on, we're doing location uh, tests and whatnot. And one of them is the Liberty Science Center yeah. in Jersey City. For the beginning of the film itself is him jumping out windows up there or whatever, whatever. Anyways, I called them and they were like, oh, well, we need this and we need that and what's your budget and whatnot. And then um, a friend of a friend who works um, in the film commission in Jersey, he's like, well, you didn't hear it from me, but, you know, guerrilla style. I mean, is that is that fine? I mean, you can record anywhere in New York City and they're not really, unless it's major stuff that you're doing, they're not really... Tripod, no tripod. You, you, can't, you can't get a, a fixed shot. Yeah. Um, uh, you can get little things we've done before. Um, it depends. It depends on what you're really going after. Um, I'm uh, as crazy as it sounds. I've done a lot of guerrilla filmmaking. I'm not a fan of it. Um, I just. I. It, it, well, sometimes you have to do it. Right. But um, but if you can avoid it, I'd say I say go through the proper channels and try to you know if, if you can afford it and you can do it because then your situation is controlled. Then you're not working. Then you're not 
you're not risking everything on that one take. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Um, and, and also you develop relationships with people if you want to use that place in camp. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's a really important thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I've had, I mean, always, oh yeah, just budget filmmaking for everybody. Um, always leave a location cleaner than you found it. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. Um, uh, one of the first things that, our interactions, like professionally, um, uh, Jeremiah rented out my, my apartment while I was selling it and, and left it in immaculate condition. You know, and that's, and that's something I remember. I'm like, okay, so now his crew and everything else, I'm like, that's, mm-hmm. that's perfect, you know? Um, uh, but that's, that, that's really important. If you can, if you can avoid doing it, right. I say avoid doing it, okay. you know? Um, that, that, that's just me. A lot, of, a lot of people might disagree. We did, I did a documentary in a military cemetery, and they wouldn't let me shoot in the military cemetery. Mm-hmm. And they were giving me a lot of trouble. So I said, screw that. I'm going to jump over the fence with a camera, and I'm going to shoot in the military cemetery. <laughs> And most of my movies, I've, I've learned because when somebody gives you money, the person who gives me money says, I have to get insurance. Right. Okay? That's the most important thing. So I get insurance, but then when you go for permits, they bang you over the head three, four $400, and then they, they go, well, you got to pay for the janitor to be there. you got to pay for this. That's how I turned gorilla because I didn't have the money to make the first crack coup. It was a pizza budget. And I said, if i got to pay for locations, I'm not going to have anything. So we were in the middle of the night. We had guys on corners with walkie-talkies in case the cops came because we had guns. And if you're in the street with a gun and don't have a permit, I've heard stories. So we had guys on the corner, and when the cop car would come into the neighborhood... There would go, cops coming, and we would throw, it was called Ditch the Crackoon. So we'd throw our guns and the Crackoon in the bushes, and we'd stand there, and we'd just stand there like this, like in the middle of the night, like, what are you doing here? One night, the car stops in the middle of the street, and he just sits there, and we're sitting, what's he doing? Is he going to leave? we got to shoot. All of a sudden, he pulls up real slowly, and he rolls down, and he's a local undertaker. And he goes, you know, I saw you 3 o'clock in the morning, and I said, what is Jerry doing? He must be filming a horror movie. I just, wanted this, I just wanted to see what you were going to do. And I was like standing there because we had our cameras and the weeds. And then once the car left, is it clear yet? And then we get back to shooting. So I would say if it's your first film, gorilla it. Totally gorilla it. <laughs> totally gorilla it. Because, and go at night. In the middle of the night, you can well, shoot anywhere. The, the, the scene in particular that I mentioned is a night shot. Like it's in, you know, there's guns and stuff. There's a security guard pretty much. It's like... Um, Laser kind of guns, like Buzz Lightyear, you know. Yeah, laser right. Kind of stuff. yeah. But they look like real guns. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. We have, um, Justin Branford from Branford Studios down in South Carolina. He's our prop guy, and uh, he built uh, our main character's costume from head to toe. And he's working on these dope like Nerf guns and making them like really sick looking. Like, that's that sounds awesome. Just even with that, just be careful yeah. with that. Yeah, the, the movie. If you watch, if you know the movie The Exterminator. And you guys remember the exterminator, an old 70s movie with Roger Jenkins? It was an 80s movie. I knew somebody who worked on that movie, and the guy forgot to tell the police department that they were shooting. They had permits, yeah. but they forgot to call the police department and say, listen, we're going to be on 42nd and 3rd shooting guns. Right. The guy never called them. So what happens? A bunch of cops roll up on the scene, and they see guys with guns, so they arrest everybody. Oh, yeah. And that's a famous story from the exterminator that you made, and that's what happened. And the guy said, and that happened to me once. My guy didn't call the, the city and we had guns and we had the crackoon ripping a guy's nuts off <laughs> like they do like they do like they do and, and then they went flying through they the were flying through yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed with balls getting thrown off tonight but it was funny because while we were filming a scene a cop car rolled up on us 
And I said, Marty, did you call the police? And he goes, no, I didn't. So the cops come out of the car. We got a guy in the car whose pants is covered in blood. And we got a guy with the hand puppet there. And the cops come in and they go, what are you doing? I said, we're making a horror movie. We got permits. They go, well, nobody called the 45th. So I said, well, I'm sorry. And then the guys, they took a bunch of shots with their camera. The cops took pictures with the crackoon and the guy with the bloody crotch. And then they left. And then they just walked away. So the one thing is, like, my father once told me. Yeah, if he, yeah. Should he feel it must be hard. I want to hear that story. Man, Manny Serrano back there, um, uh, a regular uh, uh, director of photography for Zombie Hunters. And, uh, I met him, too. Now I recognize him. You know, you know him, too. I met and, him um, in Chilla. And uh, they, were, they were shooting a uh, B-roll for Zombie Hunters and uh, right by City Field. And, and, and one by one, they were killing the zombies. They were dropping and dropping and dropping. And my man drops. And the cops, I didn't just drop. I didn't just drop. Oh yeah, I fucking threw myself in a way that I could never do again. And, and it's 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 awesome and it's beautiful and it's like a ballet. But it's, but, the, but the cops came and uh, and uh, they they pulled them over and and they kept filming. So I actually have like sections like on the B roll of like him going over to the cops. Yeah. Cool. Actually, thought I had a heart attack. <laughs> you should have took the ambulance ride. From the, they happened to be passing by, and at that moment, I hit the ground, and they stopped, and they thought some dude had a heart attack. Thankfully, they didn't look to the left. Murph standing there with a gun in his hand. <laughs> they didn't see him, and I said, "The feel otherwise." We'd have no Murph anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Murph is going to jail. Also, also Murph decided to wander through uh, through uh, uh, Jacob Javits, Jacob Javits with, yes. a, with a replica forty five that was and actually used to film Nighthawk, so it's a real thing. With my wife, thank you very much. Oh uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you yes, sent yes, your yes. poor wife with so him. So don't. So don't. Uh, I wasn't don't, there. Don't do oh. She held the camera. They walked <laughs> yeah. Jacob Javits. Yeah, Travis Caution. <laughs> so guys, um, uh, that uh, Manny being here is our red flashing light to leave. So thank no, you guys. No, no, no. You know that was one hour. Oh, I thought you were saying one hour. No, that was an hour. You can keep going. Well, I, I, I think we're good. Let's send in the questions. I mean, you guys have any questions? Yeah, we got questions. Yeah. So, uh, what is the one thing that you always make sure you have budget for? Great food. Yes. No, no, for real. You know, it's like. He's right. No, it's like, because, like, you know, the old saying is like an army goes to war on their bellies. Yes. So, like, if you. If you feed everybody well, then they feel very respected. And they stay you know? around. And they'll stick yeah. around because, yeah, it makes them happy. I mean, like, think about how happy you are when you eat something that you like, you know. Now, if you're on a movie and you're working, like, 18 hours and you're getting, like, here's a little bit of bread. and It's not going to work. So, you know, slice, and a slice of pizza from the pizzeria that's, like, the cheap shit. You know, then they'll be really pissed off. They'll resent you. Then they'll start thinking to themselves, why am I doing why am I this? Why showing up? Why am I here for 18 hours? You want me to do, like fucking 12 days of this for like no sleep and no and very little money and the food is fucking garbage and they'll go nuts but the food if the food is great they'll be like oh I had such a great time with Jeremiah we were zombies yeah, yeah and everything else we, and everything you know we, you know, yeah, we, did, we went from like dawn to dusk like <laughs> a, it was crazy and awesome the food was good Good food. And we, uh, it's I, huge. I would say, I would say uh, for, for me, for me, um, uh, f- food comes second. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Insurance first. <sighs> Cover your ass because you may own a home or a car or you may have children or you may. Cover your ass and then properly. <laughs> and I would say, I would agree with both of them. Insurance is important. Because if you're shooting in somebody's house and somebody gets hurt, they could screw you, right? And they could take everything away from you. 
When we did Blood Marsh Crackoon, we had two meals a day, a breakfast and a lunch. Nobody left the set. We had big trays of, of, of um, auntie past, sandwiches, everything. People, that they wanted to stay. So usually they were like, oh, we're going to come. And people were done for the first half of the day. They were sticking around for lunch. <laughs> and if we had to do real, oh, get them in there, throw them in the seat. So we, we fed everybody. The last movie, we were kind of like this. We made sure people ate. But when you have a low budget and you only have a four-man crew and a couple of people and they're only shooting, you're not going to want to spend a lot of money on food. So why don't we say always have donuts and coffee on the set in the morning if you're not going to feed them all day and then get food later because people you can you said I've had people you're not treating me good why am I I'm not getting paid so at least if you feed me I feel like I'm getting some and they're in a movie and they come back so feeding and insurance God I I used to laugh at it when I started guerrilla filming but then after I got money in the budget and I was told, you got to get insurance. Because he's right. He set up an LLC. I'm, I'm incorporated. Yeah. Yeah. I have a corporation. So anything that happens, they can sue the corporation. Yeah. But yeah. if you don't, you start up an LLC. Yeah, and then you're set. set. And then you're all yeah. set. LLC is... You trademark the name and everything. Well, I'm going to tell you one thing about trademarking. I'm going to tell you something about trademarking. I trademark Crackoon. And people steal it all the time. <laughs> and for you to, to get a trademark back on it... It's a pain in the ass. And if you wrote it and you have it, I, I just, my, my trademark on Crackoon just ran up. And I was like, I ain't renewing it. Because in the beginning, it was hot. And I said, well, what if this gets big? And then I got to have Crackoon dolls, Crackoon this. But I moved on. And I got rid of the trademark. So trademark is a lot. And plus, trademarks aren't easy to get. I had a lie to get my trademark. It's a lot of work. I, I flirted, I flirted with the lawyer. Cool. Yeah, you flirt with the lawyer. Well, we, uh, initially, the name of the project was uh, it had atomic. It was atomic Superman. It's, it's based on a cartoon. To give a quick backstory, uh, not cartoon, comic books of the Silver Age, uh, Jack Kirby and whatnot. Jack Kirby. Um, so it's a homage, so to say. It's a fun project, but. Um, we trademarked, uh, we went to trademark Atomic Superman, they said no, Superman, anything super is owned by DC, right. and they will come after you hardcore. So we renamed it uh, Return of the Tomorrow Men, and uh, Tomorrow Man, Tomorrow Men, anything in that aspect is registered to us now. Anybody that uses cool. that has to pay us. <laughs> they can't use it without permission and whatnot. Yeah, nobody had Crackoon, so <laughs> it, was, it was very easy to, to they're, they're getting it there, but... You, what I had to do, what I had to do to get the trademark for the original Crackoon was I had to produce ten copies of the movie and send it to people with bills that I sold it. So once I got the bills back, I sent the bills to the trademark company. And this was funny because I, I had a lawyer. I went to LegalZoom, and the lawyer was a female lawyer. So I was flirting with her a lot. I mean, flirting with her a lot to a point where she gave me information. She gave me information that if she didn't give it to me, I never would have got the trademark. She's the one who told me about that. She said, well, I'm not supposed to say this, but... And then she told me. And the next day, I produced a bunch of DVDs for Crackoon. I sent them to people all over the country that I knew with a bill. I didn't charge them for it. I just sent the bill, 20 bucks. Once I got the bills back, I sent the bills to the trademark company, and my trademark was okayed within a week. That was, that was trying to get it after a year of talking to this one, paying for it. While you're going along, you're paying. Even if they don't give you a trademark, you're paying them. Yeah. So if I didn't flirt with that girl, I'd still be trying to get my trademark. And that's what it is. It's all schmoozing. I'm pretty good at schmoozing. So if I need something, I always say, just send me in. I can take care of it. And that's how I got the trademark. Sure. I, I, I haven't been here, obviously, so maybe you're in The question, as indie filmmakers look forward to the things you want to do, <coughs> budget was no issue 
<coughs> what would each of yours dream project be and your hopeful budget for it? <laughs> no, we didn't cover it. Go ahead, start, start down here. Yeah, start down here. Um, wow. Um, um, at the moment, dream project. Okay. Like, what, like 10 years from now, you so, totally feel different. But right so, now, something I created or anything? Anything. Dream anything. Dream project. Dream, you, dream project. You were Stanley Kubrick, you can do anything. Uh, it's, it's really, um, uh, for me, um, uh, a complete uh, trilogy based on a graphic novel called The Inca Light. And, um, and uh, it's already kind of been done with the original artist. Uh, they call it Fifth Element. Oh, okay. um, uh, and, the only, and there was so many lawsuits back and forth about that and then who was involved and who was necessary. There's so many, there's so many artists that I love out of, again, Heavy Metal Magazine and things like that. Uh, this beautiful, beautiful story. And it all takes place inside this planet that is really a city. And, and the riots and the politics and the religion and it, it's, it's like it makes Dune look like almost nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's insane, this thing. And uh, if I had the unlimited budget, um, actually bring Inca Light to light. If, now, since you've been thinking about it, what, would you, what is your projected budget? What would you, at this moment, looking at it? To do three How films like that? do you think you'd need for it? Um, I would say at least 170 to 200 million dollars each. Whoa. So you're talking to Disney yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's even lift. Oh, yeah. Jeremiah? Well, you said dream thing, like, you know, like... For, Currently, if, yeah. So yeah, all right. Well, I'll, I'll do the real one and the crazy one. So, like, the real one would be, like, slap face, the short. It's, like, there's a feature-length version of it. So it's, like, you know, the feature between five hundred and seven hundred fifty thousand dollars would be, like, a really... That would be, like, the next thing I would love to do. But if, I, if it's, like, you can do whatever the fuck you want, Stanley Kubrick, then I'd be, like... Then I would, you know, then I'd be, like... You know, like, wouldn't it be great to do like Stephen King's The Stand? It's like three different movies. You know, like one of them is Captain Trips, and like one of them is like that whole middle thing where they go to Vegas and you know, in the Midwest. And then the third one, like the shit goes down. You know, like wouldn't that be great? You know, like a three, you know, three part movie. You know, and like so to do Stephen King's The Stand would be like something that would be like it'd be a dream come true. You know, so who knows? Maybe when I'm, uh, you know. Seven, you know, old and gray. They'll be like, hey, Kip, you want to do uh, the stand? I'm like, yeah, sign, sign me up. They're on the remake train right now. Get on it. Yeah, buddy. Start pitching Let's now. do it. Get yourself moving. Let's go. And, and you? I had two dream projects. One I just finished. But when I had to deal with the sci-fi channel, I had to pitch two scripts. One of them was Bat Radicus, which I just finished filming. And the other one, if anybody steals this, I know who you are in the room. It's, it's copyrighted. Is... Uh, Vigilantes versus giant crabs, but the crab is a herpes crab. <laughs> it's a giant herpes crab. Now, if you've ever it's seen a family it, film. it's a family film. Yeah, if yeah, you've yeah. ever seen a herpes crab, they're clear. Yeah. So I had an idea of a radioactive herpes crab who gets, who goes on a prostitute's, who shot radioactive heroin, and they get big, like gigantic, to where they knock down a bridge. And I pitched the idea to the Sci-Fi Channel. And they didn't, they didn't make faces or anything. They were like, ooh, that they, sounds interesting. I said, NATO. it's a herpes, yeah, I know. I said, it's a herpes crab. Are you cool with this? And they go, well, they go, well, explain it to me. I said, well, herpes crabs are translucent. 
I never had herpes, so this is from research. <laughs> but, um, but the herpes crab is translucent, so I had this idea of the herpes crab sucking people up, and you see them kind of like the blob. And it, they, we, had, we had drawings, we had the script, and when I pitched the two scripts, I thought they were going to kick me out of the fucking room. And it's a great script. I got to say, if I get the money, that's the script I'm going to do next. And I, I pitched it, and I, I kept waiting for them to like kick me out of the fucking room. And they're going, tell me some more. I go... Oh, well, there's a bunch of, and there's a girl gang, and there's one by a midget, and it's an old girl gang, and they're called the, the Amazons, but the lead is a midget. Oh, what else? And I go, really? They're fucking going for this. And if, if I would have if I would have taken the deal, I might have gotten that movie made, because Sci-Fi wanted to film my crew in the Bronx making the movie through a 10-episode arc, and then premiere the movie on Sci-Fi Channel at Saturday night. I turned the deal down because they were dicking me. But there was a move, there was a show that got replaced when I backed out called Town of the Living Dead. I don't know if any of you okay. You know what the story is behind that? They hired a bunch of rednecks to make a movie. They made movies and sold them on YouTube. So when they wanted to make a movie, they had no movie. So sci-fi had to spend fifty thousand dollars to film a movie and they pushed it to the middle of the night. That was my spot. That was the spot, and my spot was nine o'clock Saturday night. So I gave up that deal, and when that show took over, we laughed our ass off because of bomb. And the people who lost the deal both lost their jobs. It was Edamol, the biggest company in the world. They lost their job because twice they couldn't secure me. Because I was like, I want to do my thing. I don't want to have 100 people telling me what to do. Especially on the network, I was making nothing. They were making all the money. I was making garbage. They said, we'll give you $10,000 an episode. What about if the movie makes good? Oh, no. The movie has to make $100 million before you see a dime. I was like, I go, really? I said, really? And they go, what about if we, if we market herpy crabs? Oh, you don't get that money. We get that money. I said, but what if it becomes a big movie? Everybody wants a herpy crab. I'm not making money off it. So I, I was told by a lot of filmmakers I was an asshole. Yeah, I was told from a lot of people that I was an asshole for not taking a deal, but I don't regret it at all. I'm very happy with where I am right now, and I do my own thing, and nobody, I don't have to answer to anybody. And I'm not on TV, but who cares? Uh, yeah, uh, it's actually two questions. Uh, when you do, like, say, uh, you, you talk about like doing guerrilla shooting at the cemetery with guns, do you have like the blank guns or, or you do post after? Do you do the sound of the guns post? Okay. Oh, 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 yeah, okay. Um, we, got, okay. we got in trouble by one of my friend's wives whose father died and left them 100 guns. So we were playing with the guns, you know, and everything. So we made blood marsh. We had plastic guns. But when we put them, there's a scene that when you put the guns on the table, they sound plastic. So I said, I want real guns. So my friend went, all illegal, in the Bronx, brought all these guns to the set. And when we put them on the table, you heard it. So now his wife didn't know. So we saw the movie. She goes, wow, that was real. And I go, oh, yeah, Marty gave us the real guns. She was like, oh. She goes, you had those guns in the sugar? Yeah, we wanted it to look realistic. And... We didn't use muzzle, now I'm putting muzzle blasts in, and I'm putting the sounds in. But then we shot the camera, we shot it off screen, because it was low budget. I didn't have the money. Now, I've learned how to do muzzle blast, CGI blood. So now I just have them go, and I put the muzzle blast in, and I put the sound, and I showed a head exploding. I was just doing it this morning. So, yeah. (laughs) I blew my own head up last night. It It was very surreal to see you blow your own head up. And my wife blew my head up, which was even funny. I'd kill her in a bunch um, of movies. It was her turn. Uh, what we do, because uh, zombie hunters, you have to kill zombies, and, and we have full automatic weapons and things that it gets out of control. Um, uh, uh, this type of uh, fake gun called Airsoft. 
Yes. Okay. Um, all metal gas blowback forms of airsoft. Okay. They're, some of them are actually mil spec to the actual real thing. So you have you have a, a nine millimeter Beretta. It's almost the exact weight of a loaded nine millimeter Beretta. And you know, as long as they're metal and they're gas blowback, because when you fire it, okay, it will trigger. Right. The slide will go, and 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 then all you really need to do is do the muzzle flashes. But you can fill them anywhere, and it's a click. But it looks devastating. Those look good. Do it right. It looks amazing, but they have to be metal. They have to be blowback, right? And um, and it's and it's all worked, works off of propane. So yeah, that kind of thing for for that. Um, what you say about the realism, though? Um, uh, for certain, when when we have static things, uh, we, we we have a lot of guns. And um, <laughs> when uh, when we have static things, if they're not being pointed at somebody, we will have the real weapons out there. Um, for the pilot of zombie hunters, um, I was I was I had a real um, Uzi submachine gun on my side. We replaced the barrel with solid lead, <laughs> and at no point in the episode do I point it at anybody. All right, um, in the first episode of the show, I kill I kill a zombie with a knife, right, which was actually switched and handed to me and that kind of thing. Uh, you'll never see me point at things like that. So, so that kind of you have to be very careful of that. Um, but but if you go that route, it will look it precisely like the real thing on film. And all you have to do is just add the shell j- uh, shoot shell now. shot out, and you could even get metal uh, shotguns. Uh, airsoft that will actually have the shells, and when you and, and when you bring that back, the receiver will pop the thing right out. So yeah, it's you know that kind of thing. Yes, sir. I do just want to say he has pointed a real fifty caliber. Ah, so he was lying. Gun <laughs> down the barrel of my camera. That is true. I absolutely did. Yeah. One of our zombie hunters. Uh, one of our zombie hunters is a uh, is um, uh, an NRA certified instructor. So he has a real Barrett 50 caliber wow. sniper rifle, like the kind the SEALs use off the back of ships. And, uh, and uh, we needed a shot where he was shooting into a crowd. So we had no crowd there. So we went on, on his property in a business he owned. We went to the back, and it was just me, him, and Manny. And um, I remember he even said to you, I said, listen, we've got to get this shot. Can we set up on the tripod and have the gun pointed at that? And he was like, no, I want to get this shot. But only if you're careful with it. If you, I mean, if you're, if you're cool with it. If not, we don't do it. Never make another thing. Making films, never ask anyone to do something you wouldn't do yourself, ever, ever. The, the moment you do that, okay, you're a joke. So don't ever do that. So um, I wasn't going to get in front of this thing, so I didn't want him to do it either. Um, but we, but we opened up the breach. We opened up, but everything was by, a, by someone who actually trains people in how in gun safety exactly how to do this. So that's the extremes we went just to get this one shot down the barrel of a real barrel. So that kind of thing, but uh, but yeah, but at no, at no time there was any it was ever loaded or anything like that. And I've been, I've been on a set actually, um, uh, filmed two years ago, where the, uh, the director promised um, that uh, that he's only going to use blank weapons, and he had a permit to use blank weapons. I get there, and my buddy Murph is there, who grew up with guns, and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, that's a real 44 Magnum. And he goes, oh yeah, that is. And I'm like, I'm like, what is it doing here? The two guards in the back of the courtroom had real 12 gauge Mossberg shotguns. And I said, are you all out of your fucking minds? Stay like, are, are you, and my, my buddy and I, we were like, you know, um, Kelly was on that trip, on that set, and we were, okay. try, we were trying, we changed things around. We're like, if you're going to do this, this is how you have to do it. If you can't change it now, this is the safe way to do it, you know? And, and I never worked with that guy again. Ever want to have an entire crew? Safety first. Every single person you know vanish? Bring, bring, bring real guns to set and leave them around. If you do that, no one will ever work with you again. Never. It's and also it gets period. around. I mean, you know, it's like if you're in the East Coast horror community, everybody talks to everybody. 
you find out who's fucking bozo or insane yep. or, or carry, you know, or does shit like that, yep. which is like totally unprofessional and unacceptable and not safe. You know, safety first. Yeah, I was, I, I was living, and a friend of mine didn't know that it was the real thing and walked up to me and pointed a shotgun right at my stomach. Oh, Jesus. And my, I, was, I grabbed it, and he didn't know. And he apologized later. I'm like, listen, dude, you never held a gun before. You had no idea this wasn't, this wasn't a problem. He had no idea at all. And, um, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was a bad situation, but that kind of thing, I mean, like, like, 10 people in this room probably know what I'm talking about. So it's like, it's like you know, it, that kind of thing, you, your reputation will be destroyed instantly. It's, it's just that simple. You know, um, but if you are the opposite of that, and you are respectful of people, and you are and you are caring about them, and you really genuinely care about what they do and what they say, and and you know, always respect, constantly, always, 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 always respect people. You know, then you're known as the person who will do that. And if you see things on your sets that you don't like, don't ever allow it back, or don't ever allow that person back. It's as simple as that. Because I, I had one problem one time on one set in 12 years and I said this person is permanently banned and I just didn't I didn't like the way he spoke to women and I'm done you're done you're fucking done and he never came back <laughs> he never came back and it's, and it's it's a weird thing because sometimes he has to be near by but he's not allowed in not the allowed building. to say yeah. he's not allowed in the building <laughs> that's your reputation especially if you're trying to get female actresses and they find out <clears throat> the guy's a little bit of a dick because it's hard for actresses out there you know, especially exploitation movies. I've had actresses that have come with their mother to interview because they've had directors hit on them. And when they come to my house, I'm a family guy, I got my daughter. So they would come and see my cooking for my daughter. Oh, this guy's like, you know, he's not some psycho. Because, listen, Dana in the back, who was in my last movie, when she came to the set to audition, she said it looked like a porno set. It was like all wood panels and shit. And she was like, what are these guys doing, you know? And she was a little nervous. She had her sister outside just to make sure we weren't nuts. And, you know, you walk into a house to do an audition, there's a bunch of guys sitting around a table like this. It's got to be a little weird for a female actress. So I'm always, I mean, even with the Bill Huxtable movie, the women were naked the whole movie. We were covering them with blankets. We were feeding them. We were moving them into other rooms. We were like very, don't worry about this. Like they were sitting naked. They were like naked the whole time, just standing naked. I'm covering them up. You know, like, oh, don't, don't, oh no, you don't have to do it. Don't worry about this sitting there like with their legs spread all. I'm like, no, 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 you know, I don't want to see it all too. But you had a question. Yes, I did. It, it was going back to, um, with regards to like uh, investors and whatnot. Is, um, that's what we're dealing with now um, with the budget and whatnot. Um, so I think you had mentioned something about Indiegogo and the Kickstarters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're trying to figure out how to like do that. But like, let's say we have a few investors with um, that come in. They ask for percentages sometimes. <laughs> like, how do we go about that? Because like, like the the CEO of the company, um, unfortunately, he couldn't make it here today. But um, you know, he's very adamant about keeping the project as it is. You know, like he—it's already been fine-tuned. He doesn't want someone else outside coming in and be like, well, "We're right. getting rid of this. We're getting rid of that." So, how could you like negotiate or nav- how do you navigate through that to um, make sure that your project is still the the concept that you want and it's not being butchered or <laughs> added added things that you don't want? You know, like. You want to keep it family-oriented, so to right, say, but right, you, right. you know they want to add some kind of boobage and nudity. Right, and right, there's right, none right. of that. You know what I mean? Um, uh, uh, always up front from the start. Yep. Tell them exactly how you feel about things and ask them what their intentions are. Okay? Right. Are Are you interested in supporting art? 
Are you interested in money back? Are, what are you actually doing this for? And what is your intent? Are you looking to be a silent partner in something that could be cool? All right. Um, are you looking to break into the business and you want to do? Are you going to bring your niece in? And she's going to be our new lead, all right. And, I'm, and, and it happens. It happens all the time. And um, and uh, upfront, but it also depends on how many people are, are benefiting from this. You know, um, I I I self I self produce most of my work, um, um, so I can figure out. You know, if I can't pay someone, what kind of point system I got that gives yeah, me back, right? I just I just said yeah. I just said um, um, we got I, I got the I sold the air rights for Impervia, right? Um, my composer who's been working with me. Uh, for 12 years, she's never asked for a dime. So, so she gets 10 points on the film, mm-hmm. no matter what it does. Right. So when that money comes in, 10% is instantly hers. And I, and I could sit there and wait until, it, until we break even and then we give her 10 I'm not gonna do that. She's been a friend of mine for 30 years. Right. And she actually does this for a living for film and television. So she gives, she gives me this as a gift. And, and uh, yeah, so she's getting pieces of that, you know? It all depends how, how many people are involved in this. Uh, what are you comfortable in, you know, how, how much of the budget are they supplying, these outside investors? If they're paying for 100% of it, they don't get two points, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But, but um, you also have to figure out who, you know, who, who, is, who is a part of your company, who is a part of this film, who are you bringing on that, that may, you know, get a percentage of this, and then see what a reasonable deal is. Most people just want to make a deal. You know, and there's no there's no highfalutin way to do it, no no grand way. You know, be honest and open. This is what we're seeing. How do you feel about this? We really don't want our product touched. You came into this reading the script. You know what the story is. You know who we are. All right. There should be no problem with that. You know, and just upfront and clear. Upfront and clear is really the best way. I uh, I did a feature in January with these Chinese is a Chinese action movie, and uh, the investors were Chinese and Chinese American. But like the guy who developed the thing, like the the guy who was creatively in control of it, you know, he got the money from all these guys, and their creative control was zero, zero, because he was very upfront about that from the get go, from the very first meeting. It's like, yes, I want your money, you know, yeah. and yes, I want to deliver, you know, I can, you know, yes, I want to deliver a, you know, Hong Kong Chinese action movie to sell to Chinese Netflix, and. Uh, you know, if you give me 100% creative control and I guarantee you seven fight scenes, you know, that's all you really... And two scenes in Mandarin, you know, or whatever. You know, it's like if I guarantee those things to you... Because the guy was very savvy, too. I mean, he knew, like, he knew what the distributors would want. So he had his list. And he was like, if I deliver all these things to you and we get that in writing, but you, have, you, don't, you don't say shit to me, ever. You don't say yeah. shit to the director, ever. The director's mine. You know, and uh, and you can sit by the monitor, and you can look at the monitor, and you can follow us around wherever the fuck you want to go, but you don't. Yeah, but you don't get to say anything. He said that meeting number one across the table from them did not know these guys ever, and he got out of his way entirely because they're like, well, we just want to make a Chinese action movie, you know, um, and we want to be on set, stand by the monitor, and look cool, look cool, you know, in our nice chair. <laughs> they never said anything to me besides good morning and good work. That's it. You know, because they didn't have the ability to. You know, they they weren't allowed to. You know, they didn't have any control. So, you know, I would just say that if like creative control is important to you, then you have to be willing to walk away too. You have to be willing to say, you know, it's like, well, we'll do it if you cast uh, my nephew, and uh, and you know, whatever bullshit they want. You know, whatever bullshit that's like not good for it. If it's within reason, you know, it's like fine. You know, okay, fine. You know, I mean, everybody everybody has a certain amount of compromise, but like. 
But if it's like bullshit that's going to fuck with your movie and create a chasm between your original intention and the end result, which has happened to me, you know, that's a fucking disaster. And you can avoid it from the beginning. And you shouldn't do it. You know, you should walk away. Like, and never look back. You know? And my advice to you would be you put more money in than your investors. Because my last movie, it was really funny how it happened. I got rid of an actor, and two people came up to me and gave me money because I got rid of an actor. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> this is what happened. Yeah. So I wasn't going to make a movie, and I had money to do it, but I need a lot of money to make this movie. The one thing I'm going to tell you right now is I have producers, and I tell them to mind their own fucking business. <laughs> I tell them, I'm the filmmaker. I know what I'm doing. You're not going to come in here and mess with me. They can attest to it. I have a producer who's a real pain in the ass. And I had to tell him off and tell him, I have more money in this movie than you do. You want producer credit in your box? Well, I got executive producer credit, which means that if I say no, it's no. And if I say yes, it's yes. So my thing is, if you're going to raise money from people, make sure you have the percentage of the money on your side because you hold the cards. I don't listen to anybody when they tell me what to do. If you want to give me money, here's what I tell them. You may never see your money back again. Right. Okay? You always say that. Yeah. This is a risky business. You don't know what's going to happen. So as of now, when they sign the contract, in my contract says, you may never see a dime, yeah. which has nothing to do with me. And then you negotiate. And if somebody's willing to give you the money under those circumstances, do it. I love page one of those like uh, packets they give to investors. It essentially says in big letters, "You may lose, all <laughs> you your may money, lose all your money, you know, whatever." But and, you got to be honest. And, and this legal language, but essentially that's page one. It's page it's, one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And if you don't, and if, if somebody comes around and finds out, I had a guy who thought I made money off a movie and came looking for me. I heard you made money. I said, I haven't made a dime off this movie, but I do the point system too when investors give me money. Depending on what they give me, they get points on what I make. Yeah. And I don't take the money up front. A lot of people take the money, like you said right here, I give the money to the people who work. The composer, same thing. If I'm getting the money back, these are the people I pay back first. I pay back my DP, my assistant director. If I have the money, I make sure they're taken care of first. Right. Then I worry about everybody. I never got paid for any of my films. I never took a dime. Because that I, I hate directors who get a big budget and then they pay themselves. That money could be put back into your movie to make a better movie. And if you get distribution, that's where you could make your money. But I never took a salary for any of my movies. I just, yeah, well, because I, I, I love making films. Yeah, I, I don't want to make money for it. I, I want, it also, if I do it also make money, depends, though. I mean, if that's, if that's your profession. Yeah. Then you must be paid. If you're, you know, if, you, if you're doing this, and you're being hired. Yeah, you're hired. It's different. Yeah, that's, that's, but it's your maybe money. Your own, maybe your own it's stuff your movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But maybe, but but yeah. I'm dying it's for it's someone to pay me a lot of money to do that project. <laughs> I mean, I would love for someone just to say, "Here's twenty thousand dollars. Here's the script. Just show up on the set when you have to shoot." Instead of everything I do, which right. is casting, props, editing. You know, I have to do all this stuff. I would love for someone just to come up to me and say, "Here's the money." Direct the film. Yeah, I, I mean, I do special effects. I do makeup. I even play zombies. In the last movie, zombies didn't show up. I got made up. But you taught yourself. Yeah. You learned how to do it. I mean, I'm not perfect at it, but I'm getting there. But then, but you're, you're self-sufficient. You don't have to depend on anybody. Oh, I have to. Yeah, because business. Uh, well, else is going to be? I got to do it for myself, you know. Absolutely, and that's why I said, learn as much as you can and do it yourself. Guys, we absolutely have to wrap this up. I'm getting like messages. Um, uh, <laughs> Man's poking in, waving <laughs> and stuff, you know. Um, uh, uh, yeah, come on, I'm here. Yeah. Real fast, real fast before we go. Um, um, Jill, a room in Cairo is playing when tomorrow uh, or Sunday? Uh, Sunday at uh, 3:45. Okay, cool. My man, your movie. Yes, uh, tomorrow at 8 o'clock. Okay, at Carmen's Burgers? Yeah, Carmen's Burgers. Carmen's Burgers. Yeah, I saw it today. It's, it's, it's really funny. And, yeah. and, uh, and uh, 
Red Sweat. Uh, 425. 425 and Sunday 3.15. Uh, if we're all here for the whole weekend, guys, let's try to see each other's films. Yeah, Sunday, my film is shown 1.30, Hablar con los Muertos. It's showing here on Sunday, 1.30. So. What is it called again? Hablar con los Muertos, Talk to the Dead. Okay. It's my first straight... F- yeah, Muerto. I'm sorry, I'm Italian. <laughs> I'm Sicilian too. Viva Italia. But that was the hardest part of this movie because I used the title and people were like saying, what does that mean? I go, let me talk to the dead. A woman told me a story once and said that to me in Spanish. I go, what does that mean? She goes, talk to the dead. And I use that as the title. So. What is that about? It's about um, a family, a generations of psychics who talk to the dead. And the new generation is a kid, a guy who's... The dead is reaching out to him to solve a mystery, but he doesn't believe it. So he's being haunted by these ghosts who are trying to solve a mystery. So the ghosts, the ghosts are helping him solve this mystery. Out of all the films I've done, this is the most, other than Crackoon because of the name, this, this movie is pretty marketable because it's PG-13. There's no cursing. There's no tit. There's no violence. It's just a straight fucking horror movie, which is something I've never done, which was really out of my comfort zone. So, and I, I think this is like my favorite, but Bat Radicus will probably be my And it's at 1? 1.30 Sunday. 1.30 Sunday. And, uh, actually, that's our, our lead actor was nominated for Best Actor. Wow. So, right. nice, nice. And he'll be here too tomorrow and Sunday. And, uh, and uh, our friend Jeremiah Kipps film Slap Face, we playing when? Sunday, 12.45. It's a monster movie, practical effects. What do you think? Short or it's, short? It's, it's, it's real. absolutely yeah. Yeah. Like a beautiful. Awesome, dude. Okay, it cool. is a beautiful, beautiful film. You have what to see this. Slap face. Slap face. Slap face. That's the kid down the block. That's the kid down the block. Snot face. Part two is. And the snot's going to go flying across the air. <laughs> I will throw a penis at you if you like. Dude, that was so bad. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Awesome.